you just got to have patience. You got to have a strategy. You got to work, uh, surround yourself with people who, who are willing to argue and challenge your way of view so that with that fear and trembling, we find the right path. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Financial University. I am Chris Martinson of Peak Financial Investing, also of Peak Prosperity, here today again with Paul Kiker of Kiker Wealth Management. Paul, good to be back with you. Good to see you, Chris. Good to see you again. Yeah, I was um, uh, I, I was out of country last week, you know, uh, d- down in Panama, taking a quick peek at, at uh, well, the canal, but also the, the migration thing up close and personal between just between us super frustrating trip because i was this far away from some of the world's best fishing and i <laughs> and you didn't get a chance to go <laughs> i could no no both on the ocean side but we were up in, in this thing called lake gatong which is this damned lake which is uh forms a big portion of the panama canal uh and and they'd killed all these trees so we literally for an hour drove past tree stumps with lily pads it was bass fishing i've never seen so much bass territory in my life and there wasn't one other person out there fishing. No. So I was like, oh, it's like a naive fishing environment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and that's peacock territory, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they got, some, they got some crazy things in there. I've heard they are legendary to catch. I've never caught a peacock bass before. Me neither. Me neither. So I was thinking of you. I was like, oh, we're coming back. You know? <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> Absolutely. So... Uh, markets, markets keep going up and up and up and up. Uh, I think we're continuing the pattern I saw start on October 30th of 2023. Something happened. A lot of money came into the market. It's still there and it's a little interesting The the, I may have this wrong, but I thought I heard that the Nikkei is dangerously close to poking its head back above its famous 1989, never to be repeated cycle high, um, Japan, uh, you know, S and P small. I mean, it's just it's. There's a lot of money floating in there right now. So that's how it looks to me. What are you seeing? I'm seeing the same thing. I mean, valuations are are high historically outside of what we saw in in 2020 2021. John Husband did a really good job in in highlighting that in his most recent uh, market comment. I think it's buy low, sell high. I'll reference that in a minute. But outside the seven weeks of 1929, valuations have not been this high based on his measures. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, I mean, investors were, you know, this is the longest anticipated recession that hasn't officially occurred. You know, you had the, the Fed saying they were going to stay higher for longer. Everybody was seriously concerned about that. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, at the end of October, 1st of November, the Fed, you know, dramatically surprises the markets by saying, hey, we're going to be cutting in the next year. So, you know, we, we have gone from an 80% um, odds of a cut based on market participants anticipating to, I think, 2% now for March. So it's highly unlikely they're going to cut next month. But it doesn't matter because financial conditions are loosening, and that's been enough momentum to just drive these markets higher. And, look, this is a tough time right now. You know, we could build the argument that we're going to, reach out to new highs in the market and this is a a bear trap and the market's going to turn the other way and there's a lot of concerns in the future but this momentum is tremendous and and they basically pushed investors into the corner where 
where you know they're punishing anybody who's trying to be prudent about this and forcing you to jump on the boat. Yeah, I'm always suspicious when I see stocks and bonds both move higher at the same time. That's not Jello moving from one place to the other, risk on, risk off. That's just where's all this new money going to go? And then they're never honest with us about it. They, they will tell us about it. You know, we just found out. I just found out yesterday. I talked about this, that the Federal Reserve had set up arbitrage for the banks to make even more free money, right? Where the banks could basically tap their so-called emergency uh, bank term funding program, the BTFD, right? It's emergency, it's a discount window, punishing interest rates, only the rate of interest that they're charged on that money is less than the rate of interest they would receive from putting it back with the Fed in a different pocket. So they were Borrowing money from the Fed at, say, 5 and lending it back to the Fed at 5.5, five. Um, you know, if my bank would offer that, Paul, all day long, I'd be like, how much can I get, you know? Oh, absolutely. We go borrow in some yen and place it over here, too, so we could even further increase that arbitrage. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just, it's gross. I mean, it's really gross, right? It's really, it's totally unfair. Remember, you know, from the Capuchin Monkey story, the, the, the twin pillars of society are fairness and reciprocity. This is deeply unfair. Yes. It's saying to some of the biggest, most wealthy, uh, most profitable businesses anywhere who perform, can I be generous? Not a lot of actual work for society, yeah. right? Hey, we're just going to print money out of thin air and hand it to you totally risk-free. And then you have to read about how people are now driving without insurance. And I think people need to consider maybe I'm reconsidering my auto insurance to mm. up my uninsured motorist piece because there's it turns out there's a lot of uninsured motorists now because they can't afford it. Right. Yes, that's right. And they're taking the risk. So I'll tell you what's interesting about that is, is so we have another, there's a rumor running around in some of the circles out there that, that the government's essentially, well, one, they incentivize. So, so anybody, <clears throat> nobody's going to pass up that arbitrage opportunity if they have the, if they have knowledge of it, correct? So that mm -hmm. incentivizes the banks that don't need it to take advantage of the program. Furthermore, there's rumor that there's pressure on the banks to access these facilities, whether they need it or not. And you know why? This is the rumor, so that the short sellers can't sniff out the banks that are in trouble and and push some momentum to the negative side in the in the banking industry. So mm -hmm. yeah, I gotta do a little more research on that to verify that that's correct, but it came from relatively credible sources. So, you know, they're doing everything that they can to you know, loosen financial conditions, which I've got a chart that we can show here in a minute, and and obfuscate what's really going on under the surface to try to keep this party going. And hey, I can't argue that this momentum will not carry to new market highs because we've got a lot more liquidity than what we had in 1929. So it reasonably it makes sense that that we should go to higher valuations now. The question is, 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 can the most nimble investor get out of the way before the inevitable collapse occurs? Or is this like party like 1999, they kick the can down the road another year, year and a half, and that momentum wanes before we, we meet some trouble? But it's clear they're terrified of deflation. Well, we showed this chart a while ago that uh, off of the Federal Reserve's own website that the top 10% of households in the United States now have 92.5% of all the equities out there. They like to say, oh, more than half of households have equities as if it's some democratic thing. But it's not really a democratic thing if there's really only one party 
Right. <laughs> and that's that's the party of the ten percent, right? And 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 I know people listening to this. Some of them will fall into that. I'm not. I'm not saying there's there's anything. Uh, I'm not denigrating that. But this is the system they have, and because of that concentration, the Federal Reserve is under extraordinary pressure to keep those stocks elevated. And in, and since what 2008, they've yeah. said they don't have two mandates. You know, stable pricing, full employment. Their mandate is keep the markets high, right? right? Because you, yeah, right. You you know the parent cares about their child because they dive into the gravel to to prevent them from from you know experiencing a scraped knee, right? The Fed care they 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 dive into the gravel for these markets every time they wobble, you know. They sure so. I, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just because they don't want to go to a party and have the other ten percent people at the party yell at them, or it's because they know something we don't, which is like, well, if this if this did get going to the downside, this would be more of a uncontained, you know, salt cavern collapse with a suck in the lake down moment, right? It'd be very bad. I don't know what their motivations are, but let's be clear: I have every expectation that they're going to bail the markets out as often as necessary to keep this thing going. Correct. Correct. I have the same expectation as well. The question is, is you know, do they let it get out of control in the short run and lose a little bit of control and you have a 20, 30 percent market decline? But the risk is, what if they can't stop it? In 2008, they started cutting interest rates relatively dramatically and it got out of control. Mm -hmm. So I think they're putting it seems that they are putting so much effort into trying to keep things from starting to slide out of control that that you know that further increases investors to to just not pay attention to details you know earnings don't necessarily matter anymore mm -hmm. um, you know valuations from a historical standpoint don't matter anymore even though nobody has stated it the majority of the market participants are are believe they have to be believing because of the way they're chasing this market that this is a new era similar to what they stated back in I can't remember who it was it stated at 1929 this is a new area and you know we're going we're at an elevated plateau that is the expectation of investors right now that was the hapless Irving Fisher we have reached a permanently high plateau <laughs> that's correct <laughs> and he rang the bell whoops <laughs> always embarrassing professionally yeah so well, I mean, against that, though, I, I, well, there's a lot of cross-currents. It's, it's just very bizarre. And, and, and again, from myself, the frustrating part, Paul, is that I like to analyze things, and I like things to make sense, and I think fundamentals always matter in the long run. The problem is, in the short run, none of that matters at this right. stage, right? So now, I, you know, you could do worse. Like, if you said, I have one trading philosophy, which is, show me the overall liquidity conditions, and when they're going up, I'm long, all sorts of risk things. And when they're going down, I switch, right? That's um, right. It's been a pretty good strategy for a while. It has. And and I can show one chart just talking about uh, financial conditions. Please do. So let's pull this up here. I don't have the ability to, to utilize the mouse right here, but, but essentially this is the Chicago Fed National Financial Conditions Index. So... As this is going down into 2024 on the right-hand side of the chart, that means that financial conditions are, are conditions are loosening. So credit's easier, hmm. money's easier to, to get a hold of. So just in your mind's eye, go back to 2021, 2022, market reaches a peak. Financial conditions where that red arrow is highlighted, we're back mm -hmm. to that level. level. But as they tighten, 
the market started to correct and and you know we were on the verge of that that bear market and then all of a sudden here we are they started easing after silicon valley bank failed in march that that was the peak there i wish i could show the mouse but basically right there at the third peak at uh, the start of 2023 and then they've been loosening but they've been accelerating there towards the end of of um uh, 2023 into 2024 and that was when mm -hmm. the Fed changed their tune so what we can see there is that's obviously you know the market was a rocket ship from november higher as those continued to loosen so yeah um you know then you've got and my concern about that is everybody thinks inflation is dead and yes we have disinflation occurring right now but you know, if you look at sh container shipping rates that are taking place in the Red Sea right now, what uh, I, I read a report that there's a hundred thousand dollar charge increase, so those are starting to increase again. So, so how are they going to balance? You know, walk on this balance beam between trying to keep the markets high with all this loose liquidity, but not have inflation come roaring back. I mean, they're spinning so many plates that at some point something's going to break. But right now. Investor psychology is party like it's 1999, and you know everybody's expecting the market to be substantially higher, kind of opposite of what we saw in 2023. Everybody was expecting a recession. Now nobody's expecting a recession. The question is, is can this fiscal responsibility that we have? What's the the data here? <laughs> you know, uh, yesterday the U.S. debt hit 34.1 trillion, and that's a 2.7 trillion increase in 12 months much more than what they stated it was going to be but you know what i got to give Sven hendrick northman trader credit for this but what i really want to know and i would feel a lot better is let's see what the markets and economy do in a balanced budget <laughs> then we'll really know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well 2.7 trillion deficit is uh give or take roughly 10 percent of gdp So for everybody listening, if we remove that, if that went back to zero, no deficit spending, uh, roughly 10% of GDP would, would get shaved off the top, but there would also be an overshoot effect um, okay. because that money is printed and spent out into existence and it has a multiplying effect. So 12, 13, 14, maybe 15%, who knows? Uh, it would be, that would be equivalent to a Great Depression, which by the way is happening for uh, heavy industry, uh, energy intensive industries in Germany. They're, they're already in a full blown recession, like yeah. depression. Like it's very, very bad. Um, and then the German farmers are like having a bad time. And uh, what's interesting is they just had huge protests uh, or uh, gatherings of people erupt. <clears throat> and, and it was people protesting the protesters. <clears throat> it's getting very weird over there, you know, because, because they've been branded as racists, you know, the AFD party. Like these are all ultra. Like, because the farmers are saying, hey, you're killing our, our livelihoods, like, oh, well, the newscaster told me that's racist, so I guess I have to protest that, you know? And right. It's getting, we're not making a lot of sense anymore out there in the in the narrative space, you know? And I'm worried that, that what we're seeing there is, is similar to what we're seeing in the financial side, which is, it's these distortive funhouse things. Like, the Fed should, you know, I, I actually think that the Fed ought to be disbanded completely. We don't need it, okay. you know? Mm -hmm. Period. But we have these people, they're interventionists, and they're monkeying in all sorts of different crevices at all times. Like, we're going to funnel these banks more free money, and we're going to give them an arbitrage opportunity, and then we're going to buy these things, and we're going to try and do... It's, it's like, it's, you know what? I want to know, Paul, I would like to know that the bank I'm banking with sucks, 
because they have to offer a really high rate of interest. And that's how they attract capital and deposits. And because, but otherwise, there's no difference between the banks. They're all equivalent, right? You know? And I don't know who's actually doing good for the community and who's, who's, you know, being like flighty McFlight, you know, doing crazy stuff or who's got like a stupid derivative portfolio they can't even explain to themselves, right? <laughs> None of that's can, yeah, we don't have any information where it's an information free environment. It's, it's very hard. It's very tricky. That's what the Fed's done. They've broken the signal mechanism. So it's, right. that's why I would disband them. That's a, that's a cardinal sin. Oh, we believe in free market capitalism. No, you don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. <laughs> a, yeah. But, but anyway. they claim it's capitalism, and this is not capitalism. Not, you know, because capitalism allows the failure of, of weak institutions in recessions. You're supposed to be rewarded for good behavior, and you're supposed to be punished for bad behavior. That's mm-hmm. capitalism. But when you're when you're putting these programs together, and if the rumor is true, I don't know if it is or not, but but it doesn't surprise me because everything seems to be propaganda and narrative, right? Narrative is not truth. I mean, it can be truth, but narrative is not truth. That's propaganda. Propaganda. When you think of propaganda, you know that's not truth, right? Mm-hmm. I want to tell you what you need to think. Well, when when you think about short sellers, they they play a role in the market because they're like the sharks. They're like the, the lions. They're going to take out the weak companies. They're going to do the research. They're going to go in there. Research for short selling is hard. It takes a lot of detail going through all kinds of company filings. They, get, they, they have a role in the market to take these weak companies out. But if it is true that the government's incentivizing through certain programs with arbitrage at the taxpayer expense when we're running these ridiculous deficits and they're they're encouraging or through regulation threatening if that happens to be the truth that you have to access these facilities so the short sellers can't sniff out the weak banks there's nothing truthful about that at all it's it's narrative for a benefit of what political narrative that's not what you know that that's not what they're supposed to be doing um, but unfortunately, it appears that that's what's taking place. So, uh, w- what's catching your eye right now? Um, your financial conditions are still easing, so guess what? You know, risk assets are, are going up. Um, but there's been a lot of things like I, I've, it's been um, bizarre to me to see some of the stresses and strains that we are seeing out there. Uh, it's very clear to me that the people on the low end of the socioeconomic spectrum, let's say from the half mark down, having a real hard time with it now. Um, you know, with, with rents skyrocketing, uh, housing affordability, if you were going to purchase really at unaffordable levels at this point, insurance costs going up, which we just discussed, they like to tell me that my inflation's going down, but what they mean is the rate of inflation, things are still more expensive than they were two, three years ago by about 25% in a lot of categories. Uh, it's just that they're, they're not going to go up quite as fast next year, uh, but they're still going up. Right. It's it's it, it's at an unsustainable level. And they're all cheering the fact that it's going to be even slightly more unsustainable, but at a slightly high, at a lower, higher level, I guess. Right. <laughs> I know. So one of the things that we're seeing in the, is the momentum behind the behind the market has been ridiculously strong. The problem is, is that the, the underlying market conditions are still weak because we're back to the Magnificent Seven really carrying the weight of the market. You haven't seen a dramatic move in small caps and, and the large majority of the companies that are out there. But 
you know, in looking, and this is the concern that I have, if they kick this can down the road another year, okay, let's say they kick it down the road another year and a half. What's going to happen for investors who don't have a strategy? You've got to be really confident in your plan because what, what we run the risk of, market can stay irrational far longer than most people can stay patient and on the sidelines. So especially if you've woken mm -hmm. up to the fact that, hey, this is a crazy world that's been taking place since 2017, you've been sitting on the sidelines, at what point does this psychological momentum tempt you into jumping into the game without having the ability to exit, right? So what I'm afraid is it's going to have this big sucking sound where it's going to pull all these individuals off the sidelines because they feel like there's nothing else to do. And then everybody's in the market. And the person that doesn't have a strategy on when to increase risk and when to reduce risk is going to be like a deer in the headlights when the market drops the first 10 or 15%. They're going to be panicked. Well, okay. You know, we've been buying the dip for the past seven or eight years. I got to stay the course, and then they're down fifty percent by the time you know they they endure enough pain where they can't stay that course. So it's important for people to have a strategy to be able to navigate this environment, and we have to be open-minded. You know, I, I don't like playing the game by the rules that they force upon us, but you know, we can't rule out that that they don't just absolutely risk. Um, you know, hyperinflation, which is a completely different investment strategy based on deflation, with the boundaries that they're walking over and the risks that they're running with this, you know, with, with cutting rates if they actually do it with the economy supposedly holding up well. So this is a really tough environment. It's hard on people. The, the haves that, are, that, that have listened to you have done a good job of being educated by you. They're looking at the world through truth. They're struggling. The have-nots are just being decimated by the inflationary pressures that are, yeah, disinflation. But like you said, the prices are higher. You know, there's a lot of misery out there right now. There's just there's just a lot of misery out there in all parts of society. Well, I like uh, a lot of everything you've said there, in, including the idea that, um, and this is the part I decry, which is they force you to play the game, yeah. right? And then they change the rules along the way all the time, right? Yeah. It's not even like there's a, like a game and you learn it like Monopoly, read the back of the cover, you know, and you sort of understand, okay, those are the rules, right? No, they change all the time. And, uh, and so that's the hard part. And, and I wish there was a, a parallel game, which is, uh, hey, play that game if you want. It's highly speculative, lots of risk. You know, it's a full contact sport. Go for it. Or... Keep your money over here in this parallel money system. Like you remember, like like there was two hundred and twenty years of our country's history where if you earned a dollar, which was a Spanish milled piece of silver, and it had an equivalent offsetting number of Spanish dollars, it would make a, a an ounce of gold, right? So th there was a relationship. Two hundred twenty years, Paul, where you could have earned ten thousand dollars equivalent, put it in a coffee can, and a hundred years later, it was still the same amount of money in purchasing power. Like yes. that is a completely different environment, right? Mm -hmm. Where now you know that if you did that same thing, you know, because the Fed's told you. If you take $10,000 and you bury it at their stated rate of 2%, I have to do some quick math, uh, you'd probably have $1,000 left right. in 100 years, right? right. Mm -hmm. If you were lucky. Yeah, you bought a 90% loss. 72, two and a half, approximately 30 years, you'd have a 50% loss. And, and Right. Yeah. So there's no reward for prudent 
uh, behavior and discipline and sacrifice today to make yourself and your family better off, you know, you have to take that and put it to work. And especially, you know, when for the long period of time that they had treasuries below the the real rate of inflation, you know, Tina, there is no alternative. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. Really took hold. And so, so it's frustrating but we we have to navigate it and understand that they're going to change the rules and and just and just realize we're not going to navigate this perfectly. Nobody's going to do it. In hindsight, there's going to be somebody that happened to to make you know have one tool that works perfect then that didn't work for the past ten years, and we'll celebrate that one person that that happened to get it perfectly. But for the wise, prudent investor, you've got to roll mm-hmm. your sleeves and you have to fight tooth and nail. And, and take each step in the investment decision with fear and trembling. I mean, you, you really do. You, you have to have the courage to take that step, and you have to understand that you're not going to make every decision right, but you have to have the parameters around that, okay, if I'm wrong, let's limit the damage that it's going to do to me, and we'll have these other investments that are going to outperform. Paul, what, what kind of um, – I know you've been talking to a lot of people lately – uh, who are who are uh, exploring your services? What what are they? What generally? N- nothing specific that would identify anybody, of course, obviously. But I mean, what, generally, what are the what are the main concerns that people are presenting with? That's a really good question, Chris. Uh, to focus on the main concerns, I, I have a couple. The one that comes to mind first is there's a common theme I would say with 25 percent of the individuals that we're talking to is like, look. I haven't been able to find anybody that I trust that does this because my eyes are open to the reality of what's going on. And when I go to the average person in the industry on my side out there, you know, it's, it's, hey, modern portfolio theory, buy and hold, buy and index, leave it in there, right? That's worked for a period of time. They pull out these historical charts and show you, and they can't have a conversation about the risks that are out there because they have no sell strategy, no risk management strategy, right? They just they have a faith system that this is all going to work out. So those individuals have have been forced to do this themselves, and they're trying to balance their careers with do it themselves because they don't have any alternative. They've not been able to find anybody they can trust or talk their language or or demonstrate to them how they can navigate this environment. That's about twenty five percent. Another twenty five percent is close to retirement. They don't have a choice, right? They want to retire. They're at this point, and they're like, okay, how in the world do we navigate this going forward? And how do I put plans in place to make sure that we're, we're going to be okay? And, and I would say that's probably the 70 75%. They're 10 to 15 years away, or they're in retirement, and they understand the risks that are out there, and they need somebody that can help talk them through, answer their questions, and, and navigate the environment. And the other half? And the other half? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm trying to come up. It's a. It, it's all kinds of different. It's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So well, I mean, there's so many. Really, that stands. So many out. things to worry about, right? I mean, what what are the bricks up to? What's going on with the dollar? Hey, what happens with the petrodollar? Um, you know, I've I just gotten this. Uh, it was. I can't really call it a debate, but you know, I put some stuff up, and Doomberg put some stuff up, and we went back and forth on energy, and it's amazing to me just how vastly differently. People can look at the energy space, for instance, right? And I'm staring at it, and and you know the United States is about to put in another seven and a half billion cubic feet per day of LNG export trains, um, if they approve them. Uh, and and so we're just we're just ripping it out of the ground and exporting it as fast as possible, right? 
And I can just look at this and I can tell you that that, that just hastens the day when all of a sudden we don't have that stuff anymore. And it's now it's really expensive and now we're buying it from somebody else in the world. And what is a, a net positive, because we're exporting and receiving funds, will reverse. It'll just reverse. The tide comes in, tide goes out, right? right? And in that tide goes out, nobody's thinking about that. They're just like, oh, yeah, woo, we got it. Let's get it out of the ground. I'm like, what about, the, what about my grandkids as yet unborn, you know? What about them? What about the people after them? That's right. That's what about right. the people after? There's no sense of future. It's just this really, you know, this is good for us, so we'll, we'll do this as fast as we can right now. And it's... it's, uh, it's 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 hard to hard to feel it's hard to feel good about that strategy for me. It is, and Chris, I really enjoyed the debate back and forth. You did an uh, an unbelievably good job of saying, "Here's the data. This is where." It oh, is. thanks. Yeah, and yeah. We've got to pay attention to what's worst case scenario. I think there's an overly optimistic, just from what I know about about what was going back and forth. If there's a, I may have missed some there towards the end, but but he was very respectful and complimentary of you. You had the discussion, but, but it seems like there's a lot of hope in there. And my concern about that, I agree with you. We have to consider worst case scenario. That's what I tell investors when we run a retirement plan. You have to Mm -hmm. consider worst case scenario because you can't enter, you know, there's no way that you can go into retirement if you don't understand what worst case scenario looks like. And you have to build a plan that you can accept worst case scenario because we have an uncontrollable, we can't control the future and unknown future. So where you are is your stance, I believe is, is important and prudent. Yeah. I understand that technological advances can make a big difference, but they can kick that can down the road a little bit, but not, not stop the inevitable from your point of view where, where if we don't solve this issue here, then there's going to be a wall coming in the future and everything changes everything. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a great debate and I enjoyed listening back and forth and it makes us all better. Absolutely. Uh, I do insist on data. Well, it matters. I mean, and who knows, maybe the data is wrong. Uh, and then we change, you know, as we get better data, but, but that's the thing that that's really lacking right now in a lot of quarters is, is a respectful debate that's, that's founded on something other than a belief system. So hope is a belief system, right? It's, a, it's like, look, humans have always managed to surprise ourselves technologically. That's a trend. It's going to continue. That's my data, right? That's right. But then you sort of peel back at that and you go, well, actually, it helped us get the stuff out of the ground faster, but it didn't make more of it, right? It didn't improve. You know, we just got it out faster. And that technically, it's brilliant. But did it change the dynamic? And if so, how? Well, it just made us get it out of the ground faster. That's okay if we're using that to build out a comprehensive program for when it's gone, right? So if we were ripping that, you know, LNG or natural gas out of the ground and pushing that into an industrial process that then gave us thorium or small modular nuclear reactors on the back end, I would go, okay, th- this could work, right? Yes, yes. But 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 when when we blow up the Nord Stream pipelines, and then force Germany to buy our LNG. I'm not sure how that's helping us, really, on, no. on that front. <laughs> no. You know? No. It's just like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, this is a great awakening. I feel the quickening a lot of people are talking about. It creates a little bit of that nervousness, because there's anxiety even, because it's, it's changing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing people waking up now to all of this, right? Which is kind of like, you know... We have, we have like our immigration 
policy isn't an immigration policy. It's a migration policy. Migration is not immigration. Immigration, if you've ever seen somebody who's had to go through the green card process, it is a flow chart, Paul, with probably 80 boxes on it, you know, and twice as many forms. And like it's a seven, 10 year process. I mean, it's a thing. That's not what we're talking about. That's immigration. Migration is what happens when birds leave Peru and, you know, head up to the Arctic. It's a mass movement, you know, from A to B. Yes. And that's what we're seeing, right? And and it's just a it's and that's what certain people in this country are 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 promoting and, and it's very clearly obviously not advantageous for the for the receiving country. No. And I do not understand the other side of the argument. You know, I mean, the, the argument is as well, we've got an agent, you know, if we give them, if I give them the greatest benefit of the doubt in their argument, okay, the only thing that may make sense is we've got an aging population, so we're going to have a labor force issue at some point in the future as the, as the baby boomers retire and exit the workforce. Okay, I do understand that. We'll soften up the, the legitimate process to where you're still getting those people that, that, you want in the country there's some filtering process that we can maintain our our culture and our excellence i don't understand you know this battle between i understand texas's stance but i don't understand the administrative stance that hey you know open the borders pull everything back just let everybody come across and and i I don't understand that at all the only thing that does make sense to me is some type of political reasoning uh, yeah at best yeah well You know, um, I think RFK just uh, tweeted this out. He said, you know, if you take a silver quarter, 1964, you take where, where we were then in terms of um, minimum wage, and you just cast it forward, that it would be about the same in silver, but um, which was $1.25, five silver, silver dollars. It'd be basically $25, right, roughly speaking, per hour. But that's if you believe the CPI. If you believe, like I do, that that's at least understated by half, that would mean that we would have $50 an hour as sort of like a base minimum wage. And I honestly think somebody, like when I was, when I first, Paul, when I first started working way back in the day, um, I actually survived on minimum wage. I had a house that I rented. Like, mm-hmm. like I was, you know, it wasn't, I was not living large, but I was living, you know, uh, and, and you can't do that today, right? You know, Barbara, um, I, you know, talked about like, like you, you would need, two or three minimum wage jobs to just have a house that you share or rental room with somebody else or whatever. So you can't do that. Um, and, and so when people say, Oh, but we need to be all these people come in, do these jobs. Americans don't want to do. They make it sound like it's a labor or a willpower problem. The fact of the matter is there's no incentive to work at a job where you bust your butt and you can't make it on that job. It's a disincentive. In fact, so I say we don't have a labor shortfall we have a wage shortfall. You pay people the right amount of money so that they can actually live and do the job, they'll show up every time, right? So that's what we're not talking about. It's like, wait a minute, how do we solve anything by bringing in even more desperate people to plug into the bottom of a system that fundamentally we've already identified doesn't work for our own people? It's, that is a destructive ideology. These people are nuts. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and look at it from this standpoint, even on our local level, you know, there's advertisements for bus drivers for the school system all over the place. And 
and I've been having arguments, discussions, I say arguments, debates with, with the mm-hmm. school board. I'm like, look, if you want bus drivers, you're going to have to pay them more. I mean, literally, they can't sustain themselves on, you know, just getting the state health insurance program is not enough anymore. There was a period of time where people would do that, and that made sense, but they can't live on the wages that you're wanting to pay them. And we want to have the, the most excellent individuals that are driving our children home every day and driving those buses. You don't want to just settle for anybody. So you've got these individuals coming in. They're not going to immediately jump on the bus. And I don't want them you know, go, to come across the border and go straight on the bus when we know really nothing about that individual, whether we can trust our kids with them. Furthermore, mm-hmm. you've got the, the teachers. that They're having a hard time finding teachers now because of the same reason. Like You, you can't find substitute teachers. They're having a hard time finding parapros. They're just not paying them enough. Now, you mentioned the silver where Kennedy talked about. Um, and you probably know this, but I don't know, uh, you know, just for the benefit of, of the individuals out there, pre-1965 silver coins were 90% silver, right? So a $1,000 face value of coins, you know how much the market price is right now? 23? 17. 17. It was up to 19 here recently. I was surprised it was 17. But I would look, about $17,700 is what you would have to pay in today's fiat currency to buy a thousand dollars of face value of pre nineteen sixty five ninety percent only a seventeen multiplier. I, I have to go. Uh, th- th- <laughs> that multiplier got got as hot. <laughs> that multiplier got close to thirty at one point a little while ago. Yes, so the it fact is. that it's down to seventeen, I'm pretty excited by that. I actually am. Yes. That, that's good news. And we want to buy low, right? So not- I do. I love buying low. <laughs> so that time to buy it, more. Put it in perspective. I mean. You know, if you'd have taken a thousand dollars of coins and and somebody had stuck it in the basement today, it'll purchase seventeen thousand dollars worth of goods. That's far better than what a thousand dollars of cash from nineteen seventy two would do till today. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, but yeah, I mean, wages are going to have to go up. Something has to change, and that's inflationary. Yeah. And when you've got a market that's priced to perfection and corporate profits that are at all time highs, something's got to break, right? So wages are going to have to go up for people to live. Or we're going to have to have deflation for the cost of good comes down. I don't know when that breaks, but something has to break. And if it is the salaries that go up, similar to what happened in the 1970s when inflation became entrenched, corporate profits are going to have to come down to absorb that. And market valuations are going to have to be reset. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that, it, that at some point when things start to break that we have a 40 to 60% market decline. We cannot rule that no. out can't rule it out of course we all have that that belief system that that they'll do everything they can to not have that happen um but you know it it's clearly it has to happen someday i mean we know this right you know the government just ran a 2.7 trillion dollar deficit for this past year you just keep accumulating those eventually you know it just it it does not work out um you just have a math problem and so that math problem is is coming at us and so how people plan for that get ready for that really important you know some of the most vital threads i've had at at peak prosperity have been uh discussing hey maybe it's time for us to really have stronger conversations about who we are to each other and how we band together and and all of that because you know it's you could people have wanted to have community but they haven't needed it there's a big difference between want and need right You know, like, like we're all on a cruise ship and everything's awesome. And the ship's floating. Maybe I want to talk to you and want to go have dinner with you. But if it sinks and we're in a little boat and we got to figure out how to survive, 
now we need need each other in a very different way you know yes. uh and so point is i think it's time for people to come together and begin having those conversations before the need arises right mm-hmm. and, and more people are feeling that like it's it's getting we're, we're, we're getting down to some i mean the farmers are facing an existential threat to their way of life all over europe right nobody can explain why right parents are facing the existential loss of connection with their children because the schools are becoming hyperactive and saying we're now in charge of hiding things from you from a policy standpoint that are very germane to your child's mental health and well-being and overall physical well-being like it's it's bizarre like how did we you know how did we get here so it's good to see people finally starting to push back so we mentioned texas a couple times where the governor uh, abbott finally said and by the way if people haven't read it, maybe we'll put it up here um, so people can see it. But it's this letter to Biden basically invoking the Constitution, two separate articles, invoking that they're being invaded and their right to self-defense because the government's abdicated or, dare I say further, you know, has treasonously um, uh, neglected its duties to follow the law. It, I almost felt like I was reading something like a angry letter to King George, you know. <laughs> <laughs> In 1773 or something, you know? <laughs> I just about spit my coffee out when I was reading that. I was like, <laughs> and I said, oh, my goodness. And my wife's like, what is it? And, and of course, I explained, you know, explained it to her. I was like, this is, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, that, it, it legitimately is. I mean, somebody's drawn a line in the sand and said, we're willing to fight over this. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's good, it, it, and it's way past time. Um, but as these things happen, I, I could see these, from a market standpoint, creating more uncertainty and um, volatility and all those things that the Fed very much would like not to have happen. Uh, they'll come back. Um, we, we always go through these, you know, the pendulum swings left, it swings right, you know. It's, well, and, and, and the good thing about where we are right now, the U.S. markets, are, uh, as far as equity markets, are, are really the only asset class that's above the January 1st, 2008 uh, values. Commodities are still below where they were January 1st, 2008, mm-hmm. emerging markets and developed markets. So uh, you take utilities, for example, uh, and their ratio to technology are, are as negative as they have been, the lowest that we've seen since right at the tech bubble. Now, does that mean this is ringing the top? We, we're not going to know until hindsight. But for the investor who, who has a plan is looking, now I'm not saying you go out and buy utilities right now, but that's certainly on our radar because at some point that momentum is going to change. So there is a lot of opportunities out there for an investor who's, who's willing to roll up their sleeves, go to work, or work with somebody who's willing to roll up their sleeves and go to work. There's, there, there are life-changing opportunities that are going to arise when, when this rebalancing occurs. So. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris, we would all agree Warren Buffett's one of the a legendary investor, and and these mm-hmm. numbers are not specific, but they're they're close because it just came to mind. I wanted to share it. So in 1999, Warren Buffett was down approximately 20 percent when the S and P 500 was up approximately 20 percent. Now, mm-hmm. I clearly remember the the very flamboyant individual on CNBC because I'm not sure if I can announce his name or not, but. Everybody knows who he is. He's been there for a long time. That was calling for, you know, the resignation of Warren Buffett. He doesn't know anymore. But what he was doing is in that bubble, he was buying everything that people were selling, and there were more sellers than buyers, so the prices were going down. Well, when the technology bubble burst over the next three years, 
market's down close to 47%, he was up close to 40% over that period of time. Looked like a fool because he was focused on fundamentals, real, you know, historical proven investments. And, you know, so there, there's a fine balance in there in doing that. But the reality is, is there's life-changing opportunities that are there as these things start to break. And you've got to be in a position and have a plan to where you can take advantage of it. So, you know, it's not all bad for those people who, who have their eyes open, who are educated and the courage to see the truth. You just got to have patience. You got to have a strategy. You got to work, uh, surround yourself with people who, who are willing to argue and challenge your way of view so that with that fear and trembling, we find the right path. Excellent. Well said. Um, and Paul, we're going to have to call it there for the moment. So uh, we've been talking with Paul Kiker of Kiker Wealth Management. If you want to have a, uh, a, a full call and maybe get a full financial plan, which is a service that Paul offers for free for people, uh, who are qualified, uh, come to peakfinancialinvesting.com, fill out a very quick form. Someone will get in touch with you. And uh, Paul, again, just stellar feedback. Um, it, people are so relieved to, maybe I'm just hearing from that 25% who uh, they just want to talk to somebody who sees the world the way they do. And they deserve to, um, who, who really can parse things and think about it and, and be, have an open mind about where this is all going. So thank you for offering that service. Thank you, Chris. It's our honor. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy meeting everyone that we've met, and, um, and 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 it's worth their time. I've not had, you know, we've had a couple people that it's not appropriate. The timing's not right for us, but they've clearly stated that we have helped them make better decisions through the process we took them through. So it's not a waste of your time. Give us a call. Great. All right. Until next time. Be well. Great talking with you again. Good See you next you time. Well, Chris. Thank you. Hello, Chris Martinson. I'm the CEO of Peak Prosperity and also Peak Financial Investing. And after watching that, you're probably wondering, well, what do I do with my money? Look, you both deserve and need somebody who can talk to you about what's really going on in this world, understand the situation as it is, not be steering you towards certain things that don't make sense for you or just keep you in a game that's already ended. Look, if you want to talk to somebody about the petrodollar declining or what is happening with gold or which sectors are actually the best ones to be in, given what the Federal Reserve is up to or the federal government, you deserve to talk to somebody who can answer those and has a few gray hairs and has been there through some of the economic cycles because, hey, we're in another economic cycle, so it's good to have that experience. Fortunately, at Peak Financial Investing, what we do is we go out and we scour and we look for the very best firms out there who satisfy one thing above all else. They've got great experience coupled to great customer service. So if you want to come by peakfinancialinvesting.com, there's a very simple form you can fill out. Just a few fields. You hit send. What happens is an email gets triggered out. It goes to uh, an endorsed firm of ours. You will get an email back. You can then set up a phone call for a 30 to 45 minute free, no obligation, no pressure call to find out if this firm is a good fit for you and to find out if you're a good fit for the firm. It has to go both ways. And if all that matches up, this will be one of the best things that could happen to you this year. So please come by peakfinancialinvesting.com. Very simple process. We would love to help you if we can. Thanks very much.